Hello and welcome to the HSJ Health Check podcast. I'm Annabelle Collins and I'm joined by Lawrence Dunhill and Dave West. The government is examining a surge in potentially preventable deaths and this week we'll be discussing what's causing this rise and how much can be attributed to the legacy of the COVID pandemic. Also this week, a trust leader in Lancashire has quit after a disagreement between the trust and the local ICS. We'll talk about how it came to this and whether we could see more power struggles as ICBs find their feet. But first, let's talk about the government's focus on potential on, on preventable deaths. Dave, this was your story for HSJ. It would be interesting to hear what's kind of, um, I suppose, piqued their concerns at the moment. Yeah, well, um, deaths are reported each week, the number of deaths taking place. And of course, over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of people following the number of um, the amount of mortality from COVID directly. But what um, the people who follow this stuff have noticed over the past few weeks and months since around, particularly about since about April, um, is a, a law of substantial excess of deaths taking place, which are not directly related to COVID, not people who have COVID on their death certificate. Um, and so and and it's substantial enough, um, you know, around 10 percent or so more, some some weeks, a lot more than 10 percent or so more than what would be expected. Um, and the expectations are based on sort of pre, you know, what was happening pre-COVID, the number of deaths that were taking place. So that, you know, gradually causes concern and particularly when you put it around the next to other things that we know are happening in the health system and the kind of um, uh, kind of sort of trauma to the healthcare system that's happened over the last couple of years has has triggered um, concern and the uh, chief medical officers and the office for health um, uh, disparities um, inequalities and disparities um, is um, is 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 understandably concerned and carrying out analysis, uh, which you might think, well, that's obviously the sort of thing they should do. But I did report on quite a lot of excess deaths back in 2012, 2013, 15, and actually for quite a long time, Public Health England and the Department of Health tried to more take the tack of actually nothing is uh, pretending at the senior level that really nothing is happening and that nothing unusual was was going on. So it is at least promising that that within the Department of Health, they are taking it seriously, um, having a good look and of, of you know, very um, initial conclusion, very initial findings identified that that most of the excess is happening. It seems to be cardiovascular deaths and diabetes, um, deaths involving cardiovascular conditions and diabetes, and, and which is consistent with the, the broader concern that um, this could be due to people missing out on on healthcare because of what's happening to the NHS and what's happened to the to the NHS and care services over the last couple of years. Mm. And, and is there any intelligence at the moment to suggest that this is as a direct result of the pandemic, I suppose, as I put it in the intro, the kind of legacy of the of the COVID pandemic in terms of I think we've we've talked about this a few times, but sort of the the iceberg of of um, you know long waiters and people who you know aren't atten- aren't coming forward for treatment. Yeah, I think the you know experts are um, linking it mostly to two things, which are off the back of the pandemic, so not di- not direct in the sense that they're not. Covid deaths, so but indirect result of the pandemic, in that the the strong suspicion people seem sometimes people seem to have, is that the likely 
uh, kind of two two areas of cause really. One being it's taking absolutely ages to get an ambulance um, and to get a hospital care when you get to a hospital. And if you're talking about strokes and heart attacks, then there's obviously loads of evidence that quick, rapid care, um, particularly for strokes, is really important. And this is why part of why mortality rates have improved so much over the last few decades. Partly was why. Sorry. Um, so there's it's taking ages to get emergency care. You know. There's another debate about what how much that's got to do with the pandemic or whether it's just factors following you know, factors that have been growing over past years, but but it's something associated with NHS services certainly. The second bit um, that people suspect is a cause is more pandemic related, and that's about people not getting uh, their regular checks from primary care or not coming either not coming forward for checks in primary care. So the kind of things that happen under the from with in general practice under the quality and outcomes framework, for example, um, people who have uh, heart uh, conditions, cardiovascular conditions or diabetes are called in for very regular checks uh, on their, um, you know, heart, blood pressure, etc., cholesterol, etc., blood sugar, and these things are there to try and prevent exacerbations and and hospitalisation and death. And a lot of that was missed over the pandemic. Quaff was suspended for one year, um, so GPs weren't GP practices weren't actually sort of paid or encouraged or incentivised to do that particularly. Um, and, and uh, you know, as we know, loads and loads of people just stayed away voluntarily as well because they thought the NHS is busy enough without having to do my check. So if they weren't chased up about it, they didn't didn't have it done. Um, so those are the two kind of categories of concern related to the NHS. It probably is worth saying, you know, the, that actually this population mortality rates are very complicated and obviously there's been like extreme surges in deaths from COVID over the last couple of years. So there is a possibility that this is due to something else um, that's, that's that we don't know about. But it, it looks very much like it's to do with uh, at least partly to do with what's happening in, in emergency care and in and in primary care over the last couple of years and concern that this this may just be the beginning because um, there's winter coming, which obviously is likely to to make it waits even longer for emergency care. And um, if if it's a result of missed checks in primary care, well, the exacerbations in 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 heart attack and stroke or diabetes could could still be happening over the next. You know, if people have missed their checks, the the result of that could could happen over the next twelve months. Uh, who know, Who knows how mm. many months? And is there a sense of what might come of this? So the government has obviously identified this as a problem. Um, I think you wrote the chief medical officers team are doing an analysis, but it, yeah, is there a sense of where this might go? Well, one of the you know people would be keen that they try and translate it into action sooner rather than later. The, the, one of the people I spoke to for the article was Jonathan Pearson Stuttart, who's a sort of a public health uh, doctor and an expert in, in this sort of thing. Um, and, you know, him and, and others in the sector would be saying, well, we need to work out pretty rapidly what what is in term more degree of confidence what's causing this and then try and do something about it, whether that's getting more checks, putting in place, um, you know, trying to fix the problems with ambulances, trying to reach out to particular groups or particular maybe that there's particular areas of the country where this is more of a problem. And then the you know, very early stuff suggests there may be an issue in the northwest, for example, and we're going to hear from from Lawrence in a sec about you know actually a sort of a mm. sort of straw in the wind example of deaths in 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 A and E but um, yeah. but yeah so I mean part of the reason I think that that 
officials have been reticent to look into these things in the past is because it is quite hard to, to know what to do about it and all these things you know i i think it's um all this debate and there's been stories um other stories in the national media this week about very long waits for ambulances down in cornwall sort of really mm. sobering horrendous stuff and, and i think it is crystallizing although people in the in the health and care are pretty frustrated with the tory leadership debate i think it is actually crystallizing a bit more of a recognition that there is a crisis and it probably would get worse into winter and the government is going to have to do something about it um but you then get into more what and that's all pretty difficult as well isn't it unless you there's not a lot you can do in the short term and if you do things in the medium term it's pretty expensive so mm. um so there's no easy things to do but i mean we just uh, haven't run it yet but there's people talking about this this winter thing in anything about the cost of living crisis as well um coming into this winter people and fuel poverty people talking about pretty uh you know in a sense extreme measures of um sort of warm tanks places for people to actually go uh to to look after their health in a pretty severe severe way but um but beyond that yeah it's kind of trying to fix these issues in the medium term isn't it get get yeah. primary care access to a much better place get emergency care access to a much better place mm, absolutely and dave you mentioned um the example that lawrence you've written about this week in in wigan i think it's just a really good um kind of real life example of um a trust that is reporting i think it was an excess deaths in a and e um what what exactly did you find out yeah, so it, I suppose more broadly, it it feels, doesn't it, like um, th th there's maybe a bit of frustration at, 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 within the NHS that these that the that the operational pressures aren't being understood by by government and their mm. their sort of plight isn't being properly felt, and so it, it feels as if people are starting to speak a bit more frankly about. Um, the, the very real problems that this creates um, and that these messages are, are kind of getting out a bit more and so um, basically we, we, we saw an internal memo um, at the hospital in Wigan where the associate medical director was um, giving some details about the weekly death audit which is a sort of regular thing that happens and he was flagging that they'd had five deaths in the last week when they would normally see one or two. Um, it, it didn't sound like it was sort of at the stage where they'd actually investigated these deaths and established that they were preventable but it, it, it was sort of anecdotal evidence that, that the, the pressures are, are, are creating are causing poor care and ultimately patients are dying um and the you know also also and there he's had a, he's had a pop at nhs england for um the 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 plan to expand beds by seven by seven thousand in time for winter and sort of saying calling this a big u-turn and um and that it's not really going to be enough so you you just get a sense of real frustration that that they're under a lot of pressure and they're not being supported and and people are starting to to kind of make noise about the results of that. I think what struck me from the memo was actually the kind of emotive tone of the language like it kind of got the sense that they were there's this like real frustration as you said that the problem isn't isn't being understood um and I kind of I, I wonder do you what 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 was kind of the response to this um to this memo kind of have other people kind of responded with sort of similar similar stories or similar concerns yes essentially and it's it, you know it's very clear this is not a problem just for Wigan or for Greater Manchester it's a it, it, 
you know everyone that's responded saying you know go to a every a and e and that you'll, you'll be seeing the same sort of thing um and yes just 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 echo, echoing again that that frustration that their voices aren't being heard and the with the sort of vacuum of leadership at the moment and the and the mm. uh, leadership candidates appearing to not really talk about it that much mm. um the the there's a desire for it to get this more on onto the agenda. Mm, absolutely. I think um, now's a good point to perhaps move on to our next topic. Um, we're also going to stay in the northwest for this one. Um, Lawrence, also something from you this week and a mental health trust chief executive has quit because of a disagreement between the trust and the system. Uh, perhaps you could give us a little bit of context around what's happened here. Sure. So, so this this was a difficult one uh, to sort of establish what had gone on because there are lots of conflicting accounts. Um, but but what's what is definitely true is that there there has been a disagreement between Caroline Donovan, the chief exec of uh, Lancashire and South Cumbria uh, Foundation Trust, which is the mental health trust uh, in that ICS, uh, and she, there's a disagreement over the finances with the. Uh, ICS. Um, essentially, they'd agreed to a they'd agreed to an, an initial savings plan of 19 million, which is about five percent, um, and then they'd been asked subsequently to find an extra 14 million in savings to cover out of area placements, uh, for which Lancashire has quite a lot. Um, previously, the trust said that had that had been funded by commissioners. Um, from the from the commission's point of view, that Lancashire is is um, has deep financial problems, has done for some time, um, and they've been told by NH all all ICS have been told by NHS England that they have to reach break even this year. So, from the system's point of view, they just they will be asking each of the organisations to do their part. Um, and there's there's a view from some in the system that Caroline Donovan has is is not sort of playing ball in that in that new integrated um care working environment if you like um and and is and is it, it is just looking out for her own organization which is what we're supposed to be shifting away from um i suppose from her point of view she she, she will she will be arguing that the trust is a special case because a few years ago it was in a it was in a really dire place. Um, it, it it needed way more beds than it than it was commissioned to provide. I um, mean, it it had kind of these big re several reviews have been done into its culture and um, bed capacity and the urgent care pathway was in a real mess. And there was a at that point. Um, the, the trust got a lot of support from Amanda Doyle, who was the previous ICS chief exec, and Bill McCarthy, the old regional director in the Northwest. There's been a change since then. Um, with uh, So David Flory is the new chair of the um, IC, ICS, and there's new chief executives come in, Kevin Lavery. Um, David Flory in, in particular has a, has a reputation as being very tough on finances and um, uh, you know every, everyone has kind of t has, has told me that that has been that's that has been a big priority for the system to get the finances um, straight for this year um, and 
obviously they the, the, there appears to have just been a breakdown in relations between them because and and Caroline Donovan has has essentially pushed back um, and pushed back on these savings that are being demanded, um, which has cre which has created a conflict. And it and it eventually I understand the chair of the trust, David Eva, has has sided with the ICB, which effectively left Caroline Donovan isolated, and so um, they have negotiated a secondment job for her with NHS England's national team with Claire Murdoch and so that's where things stand at the moment. Mm. So it leaves a bit of a I suppose a leadership vacuum in the kind of Lancashire system now because obviously I'm sure Caroline was a significant player within that. She she was yeah and the, I mean that and there is sort of independent evidence that such as staff survey results and CQC findings that she has um, driven quite a bit of improvement over last mm. uh, last few years so a lot of people do think she's a big loss to the system um that she has put she has had in place a deputy chief exec um for quite a while uh, chris mm. oliver who is who is going to step into the role in the interim um so hopefully that it, that should be a relatively sort of smooth uh takeover although you wonder now so uh, is the tr is the trust just going to accept that it has to find these 14 million extra savings and how on earth is it going to do that um one one thing i'm meaning to look at is um the the cash balances of of trust i'm sort of getting slight possibly too technical stuff here but um the, after after covid lots of trusts have built up huge cash balances mm. um from the from the extra money that was available then and so there is scope this year when the when the uh, financial plans are very tight to to kind of use those cash balances to um, to find paper based efficiency savings, which is a sort of a, an accounting an accounting method, I guess you could call it. Um, and I suspect that acute trusts have a bit more scope to do this than mental health trusts. So so the acutes in Lancashire may have signed up signed up to these extra savings but the but the mental health trust will be thinking hang on, we haven't got these this cash balance cushion um that that may have that may have something to do with it but it, it, i'm going to look at it further it's another i mean i've sort of got thoughts on, on on the kind of what it looks like for the whole integrated care system uh you know reforms in in general but also um it's worth registering. I mean, there have been particularly severe problems with mental health care in Lancashire, haven't there, I think. So, you know, that's another important bit of context if someone, if the commissioner's coming along to um, uh, ask for more savings in mental health. I mean, clearly places everywhere are going to have to make savings. So, uh, so, and I don't know the local detail, but it, you know, there's been investment in mental health because there was a very big problem with mental health services in Lancashire, I think it's fair to say. Yes, so yeah, three three years ago there was an acknowledgement that the services were and the trust were were in a very bad place and needed a lot of investment, um, and and they are sort of halfway along that journey, if you like. And I think Caroline Donovan would probably say they are definitely not finished, and that having to find these extra savings is going to put that in jeopardy. The from the point of view of integrated care systems, which you know followed their progress of all this d debate for a while and um, they became formal statutory bodies on in, on the 1st of July this year at the very same time as 
financial reality is coming back to the NHS in a big way, um, you know, a, a, a pretty dark and challenging financial reality is coming back to the NHS in a big way after the COVID, you've been off the, off the agenda really for a couple of years of COVID. And um, this, so this story uh, of Lantus is really, really interesting because um, as, as a kind of test case really of, of how ICSs are going to behave and this the financial wiring of the NHS which really you know uh, underpins a lot of actually what happens in health services you know, the, as you say Lawrence you're talking about cash balances is pretty technical but a lot of this stuff actually underlies what many of the decisions that are that are made there's a kind of follow the money thing isn't there and the um the financial in some ways these ICS reforms are pretty um pretty uh, kind of abstract, but actually the way money flows is changing and ICSs are being treated as a the unit of financial management quite a lot th this year. And so in a way, so, so on paper, the accountability for making the NHS balance is now with the ICS, ICB chair and chief executive, in this case, David Flory and Kevin Lavery. And whether they, uh, you know, as in an ICS is uh, are, are, because they want obviously to be an important part of the system and they don't want NHS England kind of hanging over their um, shoulder the whole time. They are saying we want to be accountable uh, and we want for financial stuff as we do want to be accountable for um, performance. You know, we don't want NHS England kind of tinkering in our in our business so much. Um, but so and if they're going to take on that accountability, clearly they're going to have to show that they can actually deliver on it. So on the one hand, um, this is is sort of ICS is doing what they've asked to be doing and one that seems to be taking it very seriously. They can't. Whereas in past years, they would often, I think, have been accused of 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 kind of ducking that difficult decision and they haven't had statutory powers and they'd have been sort of shrug well look at the regional director if you want to come and have a row with if NHS England if you want to come and have a row with the deficit with Lancashire Care Foundation Trust come and do it yourself we're not you know we're not going to risk all these relationships and have a big row with them ourselves um whereas it looks like they you know they're sort of stepping up to that now of course they I don't know the local circumstances and they could have got it completely wrong and made an enormous miscalculation in which case it's gonna it's gonna be a problem for ICS's but it, it does uh uh you know it looked like looks like they're sort of stepping into that uh, breach in a way. I mean, there's also the you know, and, and there's obviously the perfectly reasonable counter argument that well, they're just unrealistic savings, and no one should try and sign up to to un, unrealistic savings. But it, it's an example of, of of things getting real. Um, you know, the rubber hits the road for ICSs and ICBs. Now they will they will be getting into these things, and uh, the idea that integration means and collaboration means everyone just gets on and agrees the whole time is 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 is, is, is not true, and clearly illustrated in this case. Or that you know, and and ICS at the same time, ICSs haven't been put in charge of everything to the degree that to the degree that the provider trust just has to do what they say because she's obviously said, well, I'm not going to do what you say. Mm. So that, that, right. that commissioner provider split continues to exist, and the the, the power balance is is not not yet known. Yeah, I, I mean the trust leaders will uh, kind of they sit on the ICS themselves, don't they? So I wonder if they'll feel much more emboldened to challenge to challenge the ICS and ICB uh, compared to um, NHS compared to challenging NHS improvement before them, which which would have seemed like a much more remote and possibly powerful and impenetrable body. Uh, so we might see lots more of this. 
Yeah, so I was just about to ask that because we've talked we talked um, quite a few times about kind of the power potential power struggles between trusts and ICBs, and of course, kind of provider collaboratives as well, and kind of who will hold the power. Um, this is this the first kind of example we've seen of somebody qu actually quitting because they just can't overcome their um, differences, or you know, in this case, financial disagreement. I think it's the first one that we know about since ICSs became legal entities. So, so, so prior to them becoming statutory bodies, I think I think there was certainly quite a few examples of of disagreements of people going. Uh, but yeah, I think I think this is the first one. And one um, one commenter on on the story said it was uh, one nil to ICBs. Well, no, so I see bees. All right. I think that's a good note to end on, perhaps. But both, thanks both very much for joining me. And just a reminder, the HSJ Health Check is available every week across all main podcast channels and on the HSJ website. And please don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.